Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Sip With Me. I'm your host, Ioana Kekados. And I'm your host, Aaron Carlson. We're releasing an episode for you every Monday at 10.30 a.m. Central Time, which means you can listen to us during your commute, after work workout, or even enjoy a drink with us during your very own Monday night happy hour. And who doesn't like to have a little fun on a Monday night? Don't forget to subscribe, review, and share our show. And be sure to follow us at sipwithme underscore for the latest episode updates, news, and all of our favorite cocktail concoctions. Hey guys, and welcome to the 11th episode of season four. For this week's cocktail, we are so excited to be featuring Catherine, also known as Cocktails and Rating Scales on Instagram. She shared with us her favorite cocktail creation, The Last Word. Take it away, Catherine. Hey everybody, my name is Catherine, and I've been mixing up cocktails at my home bar for about seven years now. In January 2020, I started my Instagram account called Cocktails and Rating Scales where I post mostly original drink recipes and short stories that go with them, and I call these cocktail memoirs. Today, I'm gonna tell you about my favorite classic cocktail, which is The Last Word. It's a simple drink that is equal parts gin, fresh lime juice, green chartreuse, and maraschino liqueur. Green chartreuse, if you haven't had it before, uh, is an herbal liqueur from France, and I remember so clearly the first time I tasted it at a speakeasy here in Boston, where I live. Uh, it just completely opened my eyes to the complexity and depth that good cocktails can have. In the last word, it plays really nicely with the nutty, sweet, and sour cherry flavors in the maraschino liqueur, and then those both are brightened up by the lime and botanicals in the gin. One of the reasons I love this drink so much is that it strikes a perfect balance between acidity, sweetness, and herbal flavors, and the equal parts in the recipe also give mixologists a fun template to riff off of, so there's a lot of great variations on the drink as well. So I highly recommend making one for yourself or going out to your favorite bar that's open right now and ordering the last word. Uh, so my Instagram handle is cocktails and rating scales, all one word. And if you're wondering, the rating scales part is because I am a behaviorist by day and I love data and quantifying things. Uh, so give me a follow if you wanna see some original cocktail recipes, read some funny stories, or maybe most importantly, see pictures of my cat and his bow tie collection uh, because he poses with all the drinks. Thanks so much for listening. So grab your last word and let's have a few words with this week's guest, Dr. Mama Jones. Welcome back to the episode. This week, it is our honor to speak with board certified OBGYN physician, Danielle Jones, AKA Mama Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones creates what she calls edutainment on a variety of topics from pregnancy to parenting to even current events. She highlights these topics on her YouTube channel and is truly an expert when it comes to communicating informative information for everyone. And that is regardless of gender, background, experience. And that's really why we thought she was a perfect person to highlight on this season. So Danielle, Dr. Jones, welcome to the episode. Welcome. Thank you so much. And Danielle's fine. You don't have to call me Dr. Jones on a podcast. It's totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> and I you make it. me sound so exciting in my intro. <laughs> I appreciate uh, that. It's all true. <laughs> you are. <laughs> so to start off, just tell everyone a little bit about you know who you are, your background, and kind of how you got started in you know the world of, of YouTube and you know, doing all the various things that you do. 
Yeah, so I am a board certified OBGYN, like you said, and I'm currently practicing in Austin, Texas, which we just talked about is a little complicated because we float around a lot, uh, but that's where we are right now. And I, I kind of got online in medical school and I started kind of blogging my way through medical school and that was in like 2010 and it was really weird then. It was, mm -hmm. I mean, people were blogging, but people weren't really blogging their way through medical school or talking about what it's like to be a physician mm -hmm. or doing I mean, there was online educators and things, but nobody else in my school was doing it. People thought I was very unusual, which is probably accurate, but that's what <laughs> You're an innovator. <laughs> and mm. so I, I was doing Twitter and blogging back then. And that's kind of how I got into the social media space. And I very quickly saw how beneficial it could be, not only to like educate people, but to hear patients' stories. So just listening to the individual person talk about their experience within the medical system was incredibly eye-opening to me. And I was learning all these things that we couldn't learn in med school, like how to have mm -hmm. a better bedside manner and how to communicate well with people who aren't physicians, because it's really easy to quickly forget what you knew and didn't know before you started medical school. Yeah. And I think it kind of helped me stay a little more realistic in how I communicate. And so in residency, mm -hmm. I had twins who were six months old and it was chaos and OBGYN residency is surgical and busy and it was just intense. So I kind of shadowed my social media for a little while during that time. But when I got out and started my private practice, I started my Instagram page, which is when like the mama Dr. Jones persona kind of came about. And very quickly, people really started taking to what I was saying and what I was sharing. And I figured out very quickly that I really, really love you know, sharing that information. I'm very clearly passionate about pregnancy and gynecology and all of these things. And I think that because I am truly very interested and love this field, it kind of came across in my education. Mm. The way the YouTube channel came about, and I don't want to like take all of this time to tell you all about it, but I was on maternity leave with my son in 2019. And I was so fed up with Instagram because basically content <laughs> kind of lives there for 24 or 48 hours and then yeah. it's gone. Mm -hmm. Stories disappear at the time. You couldn't upload anything to IGTV that was longer than like 10 minutes. So mm -hmm. I'd have all these great conversations with people on a live chat. And then 48 hours later, someone would ask me the same question. And I was like, oh, I can't just have this over and over again. I don't have time to do this. And I wanted a place to send people. So I spent my entire maternity leave breastfeeding, changing diapers, and listening to podcasts about how to start a YouTube channel. And then we <laughs> launched that in January of 2019. And it took off and it was just amazing. And I love it there. It's my favorite social media now. And it's so much fun. Awesome. I just have to say as a side note, I was, I'm a twin and I was born at six months. So. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Especially because I mean, now we see that quite a bit where people do really well, but that's very early for even in the nineties. I mean, that's... Oh, yeah. it was 94. So yeah. <laughs> it was uh, risky, but um, yeah. so like since you started the YouTube channel, um, talk a little bit about some of the topics that you cover and like what the process is for picking what one of your videos is going to be on. It depends. You know, for the first year and a half of the channel, until I had about 500,000 subscribers, I was doing everything on my own, including planning topics, editing, filming, every single thing. Whoa. And whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah, yeah, I'm I'm controlling. It's not that I <laughs> all of that. It's I can't give up. Things. And so I hired on in about September, no, maybe August, um, a production manager who 
really helps me kind of organize my headspace and topics and yeah. things like that. So sometimes we go through, we pick a topic and then I do the research or if there's stuff she can help research, she does it. But most of the medical research is mine. Um, or if I'm not doing like a plan video like that, like for instance, this past weekend, there was lots of stuff coming out about David Dobrik and the vlog squad and, and all of these things. And so I made kind of an impromptu video about what is consent mm -hmm. and how do we make sure that, yeah. And so it, it just depends. Like if it's a topical video like that, it, a lot of times it's just me sitting down and going, this is what I want to talk about today. Um, or a reaction video to some kind of pop culture thing. But yeah, that's kind of how I pick. And then all the time things will come up in my clinic or when I'm taking care of a patient and I'll think this would make a good video because we, I get asked this a lot in clinic. And so clearly people want to know about it. Awesome. Something I think uh, that at least stood out to me when I was watching your videos um, is how empathetic you are and how understanding you are of your patients and just people in general. Um, I really want to know, you know, um, what does your day-to-day -day look like? Um, I know you wear so many hats and do so many different things. Uh, so I can't imagine how you juggle everything. Um, and I know each day is probably different, but if you, if you could kind of capture one day, uh, what do you think that would look like? And then how do you manage um, creating content while working and being a mom? <laughs> Yeah, so the being a mom and creating content part is actually harder than the working and creating content mm. because my kids, now that the pandemic has happened, are always here. They're homeschooled and yeah. it's hard to find time and space where it's quiet to actually do things like this or make a video. And so that requires a lot of coordination with my husband, who is wonderful. I mean, he's extremely supportive of what I do online and, and likes to help facilitate that. Um, but as far as working, it just depends. Right now, my schedule is, first off, I am now in a position where I can pretty much make my own schedule. And so I try to leave Mondays and Tuesdays for online education, video production, and things like that. Except tomorrow, I'm just hanging out with the kids because I'm kind of ahead on YouTube stuff. And then on Wednesday, I'll work a 24-hour shift. And on Thursday, I will sleep <laughs> and all of that. <laughs> and, and then Friday is, is whatever I need to do, whether it's... I kind of like to look back at life and think, you know, how has my balance been? Not just today. Like there's going to yeah. be days where I'm just a doctor and there's going to be days where yeah. I'm just a mom and days where I'm just a content creator. I try to kind of take each day and look back over the past month or weeks and just see where's my balance. And if I have a free day, kind of focus on, on whatever it is that seems like maybe got left out a little bit. Do you all work 24 hour shifts? Like, is that like, the thing? <laughs> um, it's pretty common in certain fields. I wow. really would prefer to just do 12 hours, but at the same time, it we get to rest some depending on how busy the night is. And I have mm -hmm. midwife coverage mm -hmm. overnight and that's really helpful as well. So it depends. It can be really intense or it's feast or famine. Yeah. <laughs> I work 12 hours overnight. Yeah. So I definitely understand that. Mm -hmm. But 24 hours, I would be like, whoa. Um, okay. So Pivoting to last year, um, the topic that's on everyone's mind, and I think you might have a unique insight on COVID, um, how did that impact both your work and, you know, content creation, um, kind of both those lenses? Yeah, so from a work standpoint, I mean, it definitely changed the face of obstetrics and how we practice pregnancy care, because this is very traditionally a field where you're used to your patients coming in with a support person and that mm. had to change. And even just for regular visits. So we were set in a position then where I'm giving someone really good news or really bad news and they're by themselves. And, and that, that mm. got really hard. And it honestly, I wish that 
there was a way to have been doing that different. I don't know, even looking back that, that there was yeah. a better way, but at the time it was necessary. Um, and then for delivery too, I, I do feel strongly that we never should have been telling people they had to come in and have a baby alone. I, I think even in a pandemic, that's not the right answer, but yeah. I was kind of in a position where I, I don't get to make the rules. I work at this mm -hmm. hospital and administrators make the rules and it doesn't matter how much I disagree about separating babies from moms if they're COVID positive, even though, you know, certain organizations say we shouldn't do that. If the administrators say we have to. I'm in this position where I don't have any power. And so it really made me kind of think about the jobs that I will take in the future and mm. what kind of say they give to their physicians in situations like this, because there was evidence, there was science. And for some administrators, we were ignoring that. That really came back to play again when the vaccine came out and we were saying, you know, this isn't tested in pregnant people, but it's, you know, COVID is very bad in pregnant people and it can cause major complications and you should at least have the option to get the vaccine. But then you had hospital administrators telling pregnant employees that they couldn't have it. And it just uh, really? It really opened my eyes to, to how powerless we can be in certain situations and, and it was extremely frustrating. So that's kind of how it affected my daily job. The content creation side, I think it was kind of similar, except that things change so fast in pandemic medicine, and this isn't something that we were used to. And so I really wanted to get information out about COVID and pregnancy and how it affects, you know, the person who's pregnant and the fetus and all of these things, what to do at delivery, how we should structure things, but I didn't have any information either. And so I had people asking me for information that I couldn't give them. And then when I would give information, it would be updated and new and that would be outdated so quickly. So it made me really pay attention to how I communicate things and making sure that, you know, I'm being clear of this is the date that I filmed this. This is the date that it's published. It could be outdated by the time that you watch it. And, you know, it really kind of changed everything. I mean, for everyone, but those are the specifics for me. Can you talk a little bit more about um, pregnancy and the vaccine? Because I have several friends that are expecting and like I've had conversations with them, but I don't really know like anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm in the same boat as most people where you hear two completely opposite things every day, depending on who you're listening to, the source you're using. Um, so like, what do you know? What are your opinions? What does the science say? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a great question. And the science doesn't say a whole lot right now because the people who are pregnant were excluded from the vaccine trials, much mm -hmm. to the dismay of a lot of very vocal OBGYNs who said, you're going to put us in a position where we have to tell patients that they can get the vaccine or they can't, but that we don't have any information for them. Mm -hmm. So what we know about the vaccine right now is that it's, it should still be effective in a person who's pregnant, which is really important because COVID can make people who are pregnant very, very sick, and it can also cause pregnancy complications. And so the benefit mm. is clear. Preventing severe COVID in someone who is pregnant is important. The risk is less clear. We don't know what the risk is to getting this vaccine in pregnancy. We can theorize that it's probably safe because mRNA vaccines should not have, you know, we worry about live virus vaccines and the effects that they may have in pregnancy, but this isn't what this is. And so we can theorize it should be safe, but again, we have to be clear that we don't yet have that data. Now, saying that, we have now seen many, many, many people who are pregnant get the vaccine and there are no red flags. The CDC is tracking through VSAFE and VAERS, which is a reporting system, um, any bad outcomes that people want to self-report. And so far, there's not been an increased incidence of anything in people who've received the vaccine compared to the general population. 
but we have to wait on more structured data and we should be getting that soon, I hope. Along with this kind of topic uh, that I consider, you know, the COVID vaccine and just pregnancy in general, a sensitive topic, um, you do a really great job of highlighting sex ed for everyone and diving into a lot of taboo topics. Um, how do you really go about that, especially online? Um, I know it can be kind of difficult to navigate um, kind of that scene. So how does, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so for me, because this is so normal to me and it's what I do every single day, it never feels weird to talk about any of these things. It's just like my job. As far as doing it online, I think the biggest thing I worry about is kind of triggering these algorithms that will put me in categories that make my content not discoverable because yeah. I, and I had this problem early on with YouTube. Every time I would say vagina or sex or something in a video, it would get flagged and it would get demonetized, which, I don't really care as far as like the money, but demonetized videos also get less views. They don't mm -hmm. show up as significantly in the algorithm. And so that was frustrating to, you know, I'm busy to spend all my time making these and then make an important video and it get flagged for that reason. That's gotten a lot better. And now I have a contact at YouTube who helps me with that. So it's pretty rare, mm. um, but that was a, a big thing to tackle. Uh, but I think it's important. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't have the opportunity to get sex ed or talk about mm -hmm. these, you know, traditionally taboo topics or, and even people who do get sex ed, it's often just very like vanilla, cishet, there's no LGBTQ plus inclusivity and like people just don't get real sex ed and consent and all of those things. Yeah. Interesting. And then um, talk a little bit about the future. Um, Cause I think, you know, some of the topics that you talk about in terms of, you know, people having fair access to transparent information, truthful information, um, and having that available for everyone, regardless of your background experience, socioeconomic background, all that kind of stuff. Um, where do you think the future of medicine is going and the future of your field specifically in terms of, you know, trying to reach more people and communicate with groups that traditionally have been, you know, left out due to some of the systemic issues that exist in the medical field? Well, I hope that because so many of us are online now, we can improve access to that kind of education. There's a lot of OBGYN physicians online doing really similar things to what I do who have big platforms and hopefully we can make a dent in that. Um, being on TikTok, I think is helpful because that's kind of where the younger generation spends some time mm -hmm. and it's a good way to share information about those topics. I hope in the future that because of this access online that we, we see more empowered and educated people coming up into their uh, reproductive years. And I mean, ideally that would help, you know, decrease rates of STIs and, and teen pregnancy and all these things. Yeah. I would love to have, you know, a produced sex ed series or even just go to schools and colleges and give talks on this kind of thing. I kind of prefer to do it online because it reaches more people, but I definitely yeah. would never mm -hmm. say no to, to a sex ed tour or something of that nature. So. Interesting. What does like the future it. look like for you? Uh, I know we kind of briefly talked before this, uh, but also personally and professionally, um, where do you see your YouTube channel headed? Um, and where do you kind of see yourself? Oh, I don't know. You know, the YouTube channel is doing so well and I hope that we can just kind of keep pressing along with what we're doing. And yeah. hopefully in the next year or so, we'll hit a million subscribers, which is just 
bananas to me mm -hmm. that I can get mm -hmm. on the internet and talk about amazing pregnancy and gynecology and, and just things that you wouldn't think the general population would just love to hear yes. about and, and build that kind of an audience. It's incredible. And it really tells me this was a needed space. This is a niche yeah. that people needed. And I got lucky enough to jump in and, and hopefully fill some of that. So I hope the YouTube channel can just continue to be a space for education. Um, as far as future plans for me, I mean, I'm working right now doing locums, which is basically like being a traveling doctor. And I was telling you before we got started that we're about to go hopefully to Hawaii for two months so I can work there and my kids and my husband can enjoy the beach while I work mm -hmm. my butt off in a full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> we have interviewed guests before from, I think I, someone was in like Maui, yep. like the beach was behind <laughs> them. So that's it was where we're supposed to be going. <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, after that, I don't know, we would like to keep traveling. We're hopefully going to be in New Zealand at some point if that works out. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I, I never see myself quitting clinical medicine. I love this too much. I could see myself taking some breaks or spaces uh, mm -hmm. to travel because that's my second love. I mean, obviously after my family, which is first, but <laughs> travel is my second love after medicine. And yes. I, I could see some breaks happening, but I will always come back to clinical medicine. It, I like it too much to not do that. It doesn't matter how much income I had from other sources. I don't think I would leave medicine. That's amazing. So good you're, to see someone with so much passion. I know. <laughs> I was going to say, you're an amazing OBGYN. And it's, it, as a woman too, I think there's a lot of, um, like I was very frightened of going to an OBGYN and just even pregnancy and, and all of that, that, that world, even though I have seven nephews and nieces and have been around children, like the idea of being pregnant and giving birth is still a little scary to me. Uh, but your videos, I mean, they're very comforting and make me feel like, okay, I'm being, other people are being heard. Um, and you know, you, you understand you're empathetic and I, I really appreciate that. It's refreshing to see. Well, thank you. I appreciate that too. I'm interested because I have a theory, but what kind of sex ed did you get growing up? <laughs> so I, my parents are Greek immigrants. So funny enough, we actually talked about sex quite a lot in my house. My mom was very open, which was very nice, uh, but she didn't really get much sex ed. So I didn't really have that much information coming from my mom. And then I went to a Catholic grade school. So my sex ed was pretty awful. <laughs> it was pretty much like near nothing um, and just very vanilla. So I unfortunately did not have um, that much experience with it. And I was even just scared to go to the OBGYN and just even like, you know, not to get into details, but like the pap smear, like that freaked me out, just the idea of everything. Um, and thankfully I found a really fantastic doctor um, who reminds me of you. And she's very down to earth, very empathetic and just very kind um, and understanding. So yeah, I unfortunately didn't have a great sex ed. I have a theory that a lot of the fear of childbirth and gynecology and everything that people have, which is, by the way, extremely common. Mm -hmm. And I also grew up with that comes from a lack of sex ed because okay. kind oh, of yeah. similar to if you were thrown into doing calculus, but you'd never learn basic math, that would be impossible. Right. If we aren't yeah. teaching kids the names of their body parts and how their body works, but we just throw them into watching a childbirth video and expect that to be education, it's not, it's fear inducing. And I, yeah. I think a lot of this fear comes from a lack of just basic education about your body. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And there's so many people still that like, and especially in like law and policy still are, you know, so against 
modernizing it and making it more progressive and transparent and honest. And it's just like mind blowing how little, you know, movement of the needle forward there is and how there is still such a strong push back against like where it needs to be. Um, Absolutely. What was your experience growing up? What kind of sex ed did you get? The same, like, you know, very stale, uh, somebody that probably shouldn't be teaching the class, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) presenting information. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. No context. I'm gay. So I didn't hear about that till like college Mm -hmm. and like really get actual truthful information that you have to find on your own. Um, And especially now that, you know, more and more, more young people can become and be themselves earlier it's more critical than ever that we set them up for success and that we start giving them the information and tools and the people um, needed. And there is just such a lack of, you know, funding, staffing, um, infrastructure, all that kind of stuff. It really is like, it's a field like, I mean, we're animals, we're human beings. Like this is like one of our like most natural, like native things. And we treat it like, it belongs in a bin in the attic and it shouldn't be touched or talked about. So it's, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of schools, most schools, I would say actually, you know, split up people into gendered groups mm-hmm. to have the sex ed discussion, yeah. which I feel like furthers the taboo of discussion. Oh yeah. Because it's yeah. like, you suddenly have this one day where you're split up with only the girls and only the boys and you have a two hour period talk or whatever goes on in the boy talk. And then you're never allowed to talk about it again because everybody knows what was happening and it's weird and nobody wants to say mm-hmm. anything. And that just really sets the scene for these fifth graders to feel like they never get to talk about sex, which yep. is problematic when it comes to consent as well, because oh, yeah. Yeah. a lot of these people are going to end up in a relationship with someone of the other sex. And then that's like, you can't talk about sex. Remember they split us up. It's not something we're supposed to talk about together. And I, I just like that as a practice, if I could stop one thing, it would be that. We need to get you uh, with some Congresswomen and Congressmen and get you to <laughs> be a part of some bills. <laughs> um, okay. So to wrap things up, uh, tell everyone where they can find you online, where they can watch your videos and where they can uh, interact with you. Absolutely. So I'm Mama Dr. Jones on all platforms, probably too many social media platforms, but you can find me everywhere under that name. And if you have questions, you're more than welcome to send me messages. I don't get to answer all of them, but I try to get to some of them. Awesome. Well, Danielle, Mama Dr. Jones, thank you so much again for coming on. And uh, we look forward to seeing where you go. And, you know, I'm sure one day we will see uh, some YouTube videos from a beach or the beautiful rolling hills of New Zealand. uh, And we look forward to that. I certainly hope so. Thanks for having me. This is Sip With Me News. I'm Erin Carlson. And I'm Ioana Kikados. Here are the things you need to know from this week's headlines. In domestic news, a United States Capitol Police officer died Friday in Washington, D.C. following a vehicle attack on the north side of the U.S. Capitol grounds. The attacker, a 25-year-old U.S. citizen, drove his car into two officers and then hit a road barricade on the north compound. The attacker exited his vehicle wielding a knife and was engaged by officers. Following the attack, both the suspect and one of the Capitol Police officers were pronounced dead. The second officer struck does have non-life-threatening injuries per a statement from the Capitol Police, and Officer William Billy Evans, an 18-year U.S. Capitol Police veteran, did die as a result of his injuries. While an investigation is ongoing into the motive, social media posts appear to show that the suspect recently lost his job, 
suffered from medical ailments, and believed that the government was using mind control on him. Details of this attack are current as of April 3rd. And shifting to the pandemic, more than 4 million doses of the coronavirus vaccine were administered in the past 24 hours, setting a new record and bringing the seven-day average over 3 million a day. It has been nearly 109 days since the first COVID-19 vaccine shot was administered in the U.S., and 104 million people have since received at least one dose, with more than 59 million of them being fully vaccinated. And now people who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19 can travel freely in the U.S. as long as they remain masked on planes, buses, and trains. It is unclear, though, how much impact the new guidance will have. People are already traveling and making decisions on their own. And American Airlines reported Monday that the company's bookings have jumped to 90% of what they were before the pandemic. The CDC, though, has been slowly offering guidance on what people can do once fully vaccinated. In early March, the agency said they may safely gather with small groups from other households without wearing masks or physically distancing, even if those people have not yet had their shots. And in sports, Major League Baseball announced Friday that this season's All-Star Game and Draft will not be held in Atlanta, Georgia, in response to Georgia's recently passed laws that place new restrictions on voting. The new host city for the popular game has yet to be announced, according to the league. Per a statement from MLB Commissioner Manfred, over the last week, we have engaged in thoughtful conversations with clubs, former and current players, the Player Association, and the Players Alliance, among others, to listen to their views. I have decided that the best way to demonstrate our values as a sport is by relocating this year's All-Star Game and MLB Draft. The fallout does appear to be close from over after Georgia Republicans in the state legislature and governor's seat passed a highly controversial voting bill that does appear to aim to restrict voting, ease, and access, a trend in the opposite direction many states have followed over the last couple of years. French police have been investigating an international ring of toy thieves with a particular affinity for the colorful interlocking bricks, Legos. In this case, three suspects were caught taking boxes of Legos from a toy shop near Paris with the goal of selling them in Poland. And it's not just Europe. Lego robberies have happened in the United States as well. Last month, a man in Oregon was arrested after local police suspected he stole $7,500 worth of Lego toy sets. There's actually quite a lot of money in Legos, and Lego sets come out in limited editions, and they soon become collector's items. Just like almost everything else in the world, the pandemic could be a driving force behind this phenomenon. And those are your headlines for the week. Be sure to tune in next week for the news you need to know now. Thanks for listening to Sip With Me with Ioana and Aaron. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, sipwithme.org. There you can find our recently released cocktail book as well as other exciting Sip With Me content. And if you love our podcast, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on social at sipwithme underscore. Be sure to join us next week as we try on a designer piece or two with fashion illustrator Holly Nichols and discuss her very exciting upcoming book release.